Good morning. If you were at Trinity this past fall, hopefully you're going to remember we uh, did a teaching series on the book of Ephesians. And during one of those weeks in November, I was assigned to teach on the passage in Ephesians 5 and 6 on marriage and parenting. So I completed the first half of that assignment on marriage in Ephesians 5, but if you remember, I asked for an extension to teach later on parenting in Ephesians 6. Well, today is the day that that extension and the completion of the Ephesians series is going to happen. So teaching on parenting. Now, I have to admit, um, I've got quite a bit of trepidation uh, in teaching on this because I'm just a young parent myself. I've got three young kids here, and I haven't really experienced the teenage years, which I hear are pretty tough and refine you as a parent. So my fear was increased um, earlier this week when I read one commentator say this about teaching others about parenting. Quote, It is a conviction of mine that no man has a right to tell other people how to raise their children until he has children of his own and has tried to raise them. Also, I'm convinced that no wise man will give advice even then until his children have grown up and turned out well. So as a result of those warnings, um, I hope not to be seen as a fool with you today as I go against that conviction and this commentator. So my kids are not grown up. I don't know how they're going to turn out well, um, but uh, in all genuineness, though, my aim today is not to provide my own wisdom or tools in how to be a better parent. I'm still trying to figure parenting out myself. I have a lot to learn, especially as my kids enter the teenage years, but my aim today is to point us to the God's blueprint and God's ordained principles for parenting. I believe God's word clearly provides us with the chief purpose and goal of parenting. The passage we're going to be looking closely at today doesn't have much in terms of tools or practical tips on getting your kids to behave well and, and do what you want, they want, but much better, it lays out the chief purpose of our parenting, which I believe is much more important to know in our mission to raise our children in the faith. A clear, godly purpose and mission is far more important than tools or tips in parenting and even in life. My goal today is to show that God has given Christians a clear mission in the lives of their children. And if we are faithful to this mission and God chooses to bless our work, it will bring eternal joy to us as parents, but more importantly to our kids as they will find life and joy in Jesus and experience a life that God created them for. So allow me to pray now for us all and ask that God reveal his word to us and give us conviction to apply it to our hearts. So you pray, pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you now seeking your favor and asking for your spirit to open the eyes of our hearts to your instructions on parenting. Lord, help us to see what you require of us in the most ultimate sense of our responsibility as parents. There are a lot of good things that we must do to raise our children well. But Lord, help us know the ultimate and chief purposes that you have for us as parents. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us now to understand and embrace it, that we may glorify you as parents and grandparents today. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this past Monday, my daughter, Abigail, got her tonsils taken out. Um, thank you to all of you who saw that on the prayer line and have been praying for her. She had a kind of rough week of recovery, but she's doing better and, and, and doing better every day. So thank you for your prayers. Um, after the surgery on Monday, we were comforting her by her bedside until she could be released. And so as we began, talk, as we began talking to her nurse about her work, uh, we mentioned that Abigail is interested in being a nurse one day. At that point, uh, the nurse opened up, and she started sharing with us 
um, and Abigail all about the nursing field. She shared that being a nurse is a great profession, but that it's actually better to study to be a physician's assistant. She shared in detail why she believed a PA was a more desirable profession and what colleges are good to go to in the field. And during this entire conversation, I'm thinking, wow, this is awesome advice from someone in the field. I was, I was starting to get pretty pumped thinking about my daughter going off to college and, and becoming a physician assistant and helping people on a daily basis. It was really a great conversation, but then it wasn't. As I was sitting there, taking in this great advice and dreaming about my daughter in her future medical career, it hit me. Wait a second. We're having a real conversation about Abba going off to college and becoming a PA and becoming an adult. Inside of my mind, I'm thinking and screaming, no, not yet. She's, she's my little girl. I don't want her to be grown up yet. This can't be happening. We can't be talking about her leaving home for college yet. It feels like just a few weeks ago, we brought her home from the hospital, and I was a super proud father with a little girl to hold and cuddle, but now she's turning 10 in a few weeks, and she's almost as tall as her mother. What happened? She's not my little girl anymore. And recently she started telling me, Dad, I'm a preteen now, whatever that means. <laughs> Those of you with adult children are nodding your head and thinking, I know, that's exactly how it happens. It feels like in a blink of eye, your children are all grown up. It goes by so fast. More than anything, I love being a father and having three wonderful children to enjoy, to play with, to give me hugs when I come home, and a million other things. Children are an incredible gift from God. But the reality is that our time with our children in our homes and under our care is finite. We have, in the grand scheme of things, a very short window, about 18 years, to influence, shape, and impact our children before they leave our homes and go into adulthood. It goes by so fast it's such a wonderful time and a hugely important time that God gives us as parents. So the question I have for us today is this. If indeed we have a short, finite window of time to train, influence, and shape our children, what then is the ultimate purpose for our time with them? What's the most important, the chief goal of our parenting? What drives our energy, our time, our conversations in the home toward this identified goal? As we consider launching our kids into adulthood, what is the one thing, the one thing that we want them to have and to be equipped with before they leave? I imagine if I went downtown uh, Lettington one Saturday and I pulled a bunch of parents on the street about their ultimate parenting goals, purposes, and dreams for their children, we might get answers like the following. I want my child to have a great education so that they can get into a good college and do better than I did. Or... I want my child to be well-rounded, a confident person who feels like they accomplish whatever dreams they may have. Or maybe, I want my child to grow up, to be a good person, contributing to society in a meaningful way as a nurse, police officer, a teacher. Now, all these things are wonderful answers and good desires for our children to achieve. But are they the most important things to desire? Now, I imagine all of you know exactly where I'm going with this. As followers of Jesus, we hopefully know that God has given us a much bigger mission for our kids that goes beyond education and earthly success. In our passage today, we're going to see that the most important, the ultimate purpose for parents is to introduce, teach, and point our children to their Heavenly Father and admonish them to give their lives to His Son, Jesus. Our passage today is only four verses long, but in these verses, God provides a clear and direct instruction for relationships in the home between a parent and child. Now, if you have a Bible with you, um, at this time I would like to encourage us to open uh, to Ephesians chapter 6. 
And the Bibles in the pew rack, Ephesians 6, can be found on page 1820. And so let's read uh, our passage today, Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So here in these four verses, we see that the Apostle Paul gives instructions to two groups of people, children and parents and fathers. In verses 1 through 3, Paul instructs children to obey and to honor the parents. And in verse 4, Paul instructs parents to, do, to not exasperate or provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So let's begin by unpacking the instructions to children in verses 1 through 3. In these, in these verses, in verses 1 through 3, we see that Paul lays out clearly how children are to interact with their parents and what children are to give their parents, namely obedience and honor. The children Paul is speaking to in regards to obedience are parents for children still living in the home. For in verse, Paul, verse 4, Paul says, bring them up. They're still growing up to maturity. For children growing up in the home, Paul gives a clear command. Obey your parents. Actually, this was the first verse I set out to teach my children. I had this kind of crazy idea that if, I memorize, if my kids memorized this verse and I continually reminded them in the Bible that the Bible taught them to obey me, that my life as a parent would be a little bit easier. Now, I set out at the earliest age of their ability to kind of drill this verse into their heads. You know, the Bible tells you, obey your parents, obey your parents. And even they're like three years old, they don't know what I'm saying at all. Looking back, obviously, I was pretty misguided in my approach here, not just because repeating a verse did little to stop their own will and heart to do what they wanted to do, but I was misguided in that I completely missed the rest of the verse and made it all about me. Verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So as I studied this passage this week, I realized that I made a big mistake in how I was teaching my kids this passage. You see, in quoting the first part of the verse, I stripped the verse from the motivation and purpose for my children's obedience. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. These three little words, in the Lord, are not throwaway words for the Apostle Paul. Now, I realized this week that, um, that I failed to teach and apply these words in the Lord and not including this seemingly, what I thought at the time, insignificant phrase. It's not insignificant. I missed the motivation for their obedience and for why I need to teach them that phrase. I made their obedience about me, but it's not about me. Let me explain more. Paul tells children to obey parents in the Lord, which means obey as to the Lord, obey for the Lord. Children are to obey their parents not merely for the sake of their parents, but for the sake of God. Do you see the difference? This is really important on a number of levels. First, as parents, we need to realize that our children's obedience is not simply about us, but there is a much higher purpose for why God commands our children to obey their parents in the Lord. So what's that higher purpose? It is this. The reason God commands children to obey their parents is because in doing so, they are learning what obedience is like. Did you catch that? Let me repeat that. The reason God commands children to obey their parents is because in doing so, they're learning what obedience to God is like. The reality is that, the young, that in the younger years of a child's life, parents stand in the place of God as his representatives with his authority in the life of their children. 
As parents, the reason we are to teach and require our kids to obey and honor us is because there's a bigger lesson at hand. What is that bigger lesson? Obedience and honor to God. In, this verse, in these verses we read again, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. I heard a story about a pastor who asked the students of a third grade Sunday school class at his church to draw a picture of God. The pastor was going to preach the next week on people's ideas about God and compare them to Scripture. So the children went to work and drew all kinds of things. Some kids drew rainbows, some kids drew big, bright clouds, some drew mountains. But one girl drew a picture of an ordinary-looking man wearing shorts, sandals, and a Hawaiian shirt. When the pastor asked the little girl for whom it was in the picture, the girl said, I don't know what God looks like, so I just drew my daddy instead. You see, parents, we stand as representatives of God in the early years of our children's lives. God commands for children to obey parents here in verse 1. The command for that is much bigger than just obedience to us. But it's about children learning to obey God as they learn to obey us as parents. In these three verses, God gives clear instructions for children in their relationships with the parents. Obey your parents when you live at home and honor your parents during all of life. But let's not forget what God links to these commandments to to children to honor and obey. In verse 3, God provides the promise of blessing to children that honor and obey their parents. In verse 3, we read, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Obedience to parents and giving honor to parents comes with this wonderful promise of blessing and long life to children who live it out. Now, of course, this isn't meant to be a blanket assurance of blessing, but it's like a proverb. It's a general promise that God's blessings will come to those who live in right relationships with their parents. Now, before we move on to verse 4 and God's instructions to parents, I want to ask this important application question for parents. Since we as parents stand as representatives of God in our children's lives to faithfully teach them um, obedience, my question is this, do we faithfully teach and require obedience from our children? Now I know that requiring obedience from my kids is really the real hard work of parenting, right? There's literally battles every day that we have as parents of disobedience in the lives of our children. And I'm guessing your children, you have that as well. Everyday battles, like asking them to pick up their toys, to finish their schoolwork, to brush their teeth, to respect their mother, to go to bed on time, to complete their chores, and on and on. These everyday battles require obedience. To require obedience take a lot of time, energy, and effort, both physically and emotionally. Many times it's easier just to let our children have their own way. But what is the result? The result is children that learn to work the angles with mom and dad. It's if I just whine enough or complain, mom will relent. Or if I just ignore the command to pick up my toys, dad's going to do it for me. What makes parenting so hard is that our children have their own will, right? And that will, inherited from Adam and Eve, is sinful, meaning that's bent towards doing what they want. So let's be honest, the real struggle of parenting is that when our will and instructions come into direct contact with our child's will to do the complete opposite. Tantrums is one manifestation of a child's sinful will, but really disobedience in any form, big or little, is contrary to God's will for our children to obey their parents and obey him. Here's the thing. We have a daily temptation as parents, and I know this feeling, to kind of give up the fight in requiring obedience from our kids. We grow weary 
of the day-to-day battles and we begin to overlook and, and not enforce obedience when our kids do the opposite. We make excuses like, oh, they're tired or that's just their personality. We resort to threats with no follow-through and our kids learn very quickly that our bark is worse than our bite. They learn that they push hard enough, we're going to back down. Here's the thing, in times when we are tempted to let, their, let our kids live as they please and give up the fight, we need to remember this vital truth that allowing disobedience to our instructions as parents is sowing the seeds to do the same with God. For me, this is a big motivator, knowing that I represent God in my child's lives. If I don't, I don't want them to learn that disobedience to godly authority is okay in God's world. You see, as soon as I begin to slack on disciplining them and teaching them to obey, they begin to learn that there are some things that you can get away with and not obey. Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 summarizes well the importance of loving discipline from earthly parents and its connection and how God disciplines us in the same manner. Now, I don't have time to unpack this passage, but listen to what it says and possibly um, come back to it later in reflection. It ties um, us disciplining our kids when they disobey. Hebrews 7 through 11, is, is this, hear this. It says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have, have, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, though, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, our passage here doesn't speak directly on how to discipline children that disobey, but only that God instructs children to obey parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, I don't have the time to kind of dig into biblical discipline for our children, but if you're interested, I'd love to provide additional resources on what appropriate biblical discipline looks like in parenting for for all stages of children. My goal in these last few verses was simply to show how vital obedience is for our children, especially in their relationship with God. So now I want to turn to verse 4 and Paul's instructions to parents. Now Paul's going to instruct parents in just one verse, but has much to say in regards to our purpose as parents. Paul's going to instruct parents in two ways. First, he instructs parents on what not to do in raising their kids, and then he's going to instruct parents on what to do. So verse 4 reads this, Fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So growing up in my home with my dad, I quickly learned and lived to follow the inverse of this opening command from Paul. What I mean is that instead of fathers do not provoke your children to anger, I learned with my dad that it's better to live this way. Children, do not provoke your dad to anger. My dad could often become easily angered at what my sisters and I would do as kids, and so we learned pretty quickly not to provoke him and keep a distance And I imagine some of you may have had a similar experience. But despite my upbringing, this is not at all what Paul is teaching here. He says the complete opposite. It is fathers and also mothers who are not, who are be careful not to exasperate or provoke their children to anger. So what does this word exasperate mean? Now other translations use the phrase provoke to anger. The idea here is that parents are not to treat their children in a way that would cause them to become angry or bitter. 
Paul doesn't give specifics here to the exact type of things, but is more concerned with the response of the children. What are the ways that we can harm children, causing them to be angry and bitter? Now, there are many ways, um, but some ways that we can do this include the following. Harsh or, or critical words to our children, belittling them, keeping a record of their wrongs, teasing them, making your love contingent on their behavior or their performance, giving them unreasonable demands or, or rarely encouraging them, seldom apologizing when you're wrong. Now, these are just a few uh, uh, ways that we can embitter and, and um, exasperate our children. Really, a good way to, to summarize ex- what exasperating our children is would be just simply a failure to love them with the love like we see in Ephesians or in 1 Corinthians 13. Let me read these words from 1 Corinthians 13. It's a great summary of what love is like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It keeps no records of wrongs. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So there's one more way I think we can exasperate or provoke our children to anger or bitterness. It's how my father deeply hurt me. It's this way, through a lack of presence or interest in your child's life. So growing up, my dad didn't take a lot of time or interest in my life. He worked hard to provide, but beyond that, he didn't seek me out to spend time with me. He was absent. It wasn't that he didn't love me. He just didn't know how to have a relationship with me, and he didn't take the time to figure it out. I don't think it was intentional, but he chose to spend his time selfishly and didn't understand the importance of his role in my life. Obviously, that exasperated me as a child. Spending quality time with children on a regular basis is so incredibly important. It was pretty awesome to see um, all the fathers uh, this past Friday at the daddy-daughter dance on Friday. Um, it was neat. There's over a dozen uh, fathers and daughters from Trinity at the dance. It was really cool. It was a great night for dads to spend quality time with their daughters. Special events like this are great, and, and we need to do these with the children. But I have a question. My question is this. How are we doing as parents in the day-to-day with giving undivided quality time to our t- kids? Now, I need to confess um, an area that I've been pretty convicted on recently that's keeping me from giving more and better quality to my children, uh, my cell phone. Sadly, my cell phone often gets in the way of spending time with my kids um, in the evenings, and, and I think, um, actually I know, that if I ask my kids what does dad do most with his time, they would probably say he's on his phone. Um, I hate that. Uh, I don't want my kids to grow up and feel that, and, and when they're adults to say, well, yeah, dad was always on his phone, I mean, that'd be terrible. Parents, we need to put down our phones, and I'm so convicted about this as I prepared this message we need to spend time investing in the lives of our children. So here's what I'm going to commit to do going forward, and I want to encourage other parents with the same struggle to join me in doing this. Here's a challenge I want to present to myself and to you that I'm issuing to myself is this. When you come home from work, silence your phone, put it in a drawer until your kids are in bed. Then, and only then, you can take it out of the drawer, assuming that your spouse is okay with that, of course. Maybe they'll want it to be longer. But minimally, though, keep it out of sight so that you can give your kids and your family your undivided attention in the evening. I'm really committing myself to embrace this challenge and hopefully making it a habit in my home going forward. I know that, of course, right, we're not going to regret not using that time on my phone. But I'm totally going to 100% cherish the time that I gain with my kids and the time I spent with them. It's 
a no-brainer, but sometimes we get so uh, consumed with the distractions around us that we forget in front of us are these incredible children that we can spend time with and cherish and love. So let's put our phones away, parents. This is one thing that I, I really want to work at myself. So let's finish by looking at the second half of this verse 4. Now the first part of verse 4 taught what not to do as parents, namely to treat our children in such a way they would cause them to become bitter or discouraged. This second part is going to lay out what we are to do as parents. In a succinct yet profound way, the second half of verse 4 provides God's mission and purpose for Christian parents in the lives of our children. Verse 4 reads this, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, I began this message today with a question. What is our chief, most important purpose in parent, parenting? Here it is, to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. There's no greater responsibility that we have as parents but to raise our children to know and follow Jesus. In the, real, in the original language, the verb to bring them up carries with it this meaning of nourish or nurturing unto maturity. It refers to this entire process of raising children to maturity. But maturity in what? What are we raising our children to mature in? Paul says this, the training and instruction of the Lord. Here in this verse, God provides clear instructions to all Christian parents with their children. Bring them up into maturity in the instruction and teachings of the Christian faith. But what are these teachings of the Christian faith? Namely, I think they're the gospel. Paul shares in a different letter that the gospel is of first importance, meaning it's the most important thing that we are to teach and to share. The first three chapters of this letter in Ephesians is all about the gospel. The gospel, the story of Jesus, his life, his death, and resurrection was for Paul and is for us of paramount importance. There's nothing, absolute nothing more important than what we must pass on to our children than the gospel story, the good news of Jesus. For, for us as parents, teaching our kids the gospel, the story of, of them needing a savior to rescue them from their sin is by far the most important thing we must teach them. But my question to parents is this, how are we doing in passing on the gospel story to our children? Well, according to a recent study, not very well at all. A recent study done by, um, uh, in 2005, Christian Smith interviewed in a recent, and did a study with over 3,000 teenagers asking them questions about their religious beliefs in God. And it was from these interviews he found a common theme emerge regarding how adolescents in America viewed God. It wasn't a good picture. He summarized the common belief the majority of American teens as moralistic, therapeutic deism. If you can read on the screen some of the things that the moralistic, therapeutic deism is and, and how they, they, what these beliefs that, that teenagers hold, it's, it's not a good picture. So what's the problem with some of these beliefs? Well, they're not at all what the Bible teaches. Jesus, Jesus is absent in any of these beliefs and there's no need for a savior the view of moralistic therapeutic deism sees God as this divine butler who helps you when you're in trouble or, or like a cosmic therapist, therapist who's there um, to help you feel good about yourself. Researchers found, and I quote, many teenagers know abundant details about the lives of favorite musicians and television stars or about what it takes to get into a good college, but most are not very clear on who Moses and Jesus were. This suggests that a strong, 
visible or intentional faith is not operating in the foreground of most teenagers' lives. Now, if this is what teenagers are growing up to believe today, as parents, we have to look seriously at what we are teaching in our home. Moralistic therapeutic deism is not the gospel. And if as parents we do not work hard in our homes to teach children the gospel, they will most likely be influenced by a God that the Bible does not support. The gospel we see in Scripture tells a radically different story. The gospel is not be a good person and treat people nice. But the gospel is apart from God, we are not a good people. We are sinners in need of God's grace. The gospel is not God exists to make much as God exists to make much of us and make us happy, but we exist to make much of God and to give Him glory in all things. The gospel is not God is distant and there when you really need Him, but that God is intimately present in our lives and wants a personal relationship with Jesus. Now I can say so much more, but the point is this: we as parents have been given the responsibility by God to bring our children up to maturity in the message of the gospel. We can't leave this vital responsibility up to chance in our homes, but must be vigilant to teach our kids about why Jesus came and what he did to rescue us from sin. Instructing and training our kids in the truths of the gospel story is the most important purpose that we have as parents. Now, how can we do this? How do we teach our kids to love Jesus and treasure Jesus above all? Let me offer two suggestions. First, it starts with our own relationship with Jesus. We can't pass on what we do not have. If, we, if our spiritual temperature and our love for God is weak, our kids will see our apathy and lack of passion and likely follow in the same way. If we want our kids to have a real, vibrant relationship with Jesus, we need to model it ourselves. My first encouragement is for parents, myself included, is to press into our own faith And by doing so, our kids will see that and be impacted by our example. Now, the second way and suggestion I have, it starts with what we're doing in our homes by leading our children in regular conversations in the home about Jesus. Recently, we've been using a great gospel-centered devotional in our home with our kids around the dinner table. It's called Exploring Grace Together. I totally forgot to bring up a copy, but it's this great devotional that kind of goes through these really practical stories about what it means to, to apply the gospel to our life and, and the nitty-gritty of, of the daily lives. Um, the good news is I've got 30 copies that I purchased, and I want to give one copy to every single home that has children in it um, here at Trinity. So on this back table, on uh, this back wall, there's a table, and there'll be kind of a stack of those books. So if you've got kids at home, I really want to encourage you to grab that devotional and to use it around the dinner table. Um, if you, and to begin this regular conversation with your kids. Make it a habit of talking with them about things of the faith. Make it a habit of exploring conversations of how to apply the gospel and God's grace into our lives. So make sure to grab a copy of that when you leave. Now as I close, I want to encourage parents that this work of teaching our kids obedience, of being present and active in their lives, and working with all diligence to teach them the gospel is hard work. It's hard for children to obey their parents, and it's, and it's hard for parents to bring their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We fail, and we've already failed, I'm sure, in many ways. But God's grace is sufficient, and God doesn't want or need us to be perfect parents, but imperfect parents who daily depend on the grace of Jesus. Our kids don't need us to be their savior, but they need to see us in our failures. 
They need to know that we can admit that we are wrong and when we can admit that we need a, per- a Savior as well. See, God's given us a perfect Savior in Jesus. And he's done everything to save us from our sins. We have this finite window, parents, this limited window of time to disciple our kids in the faith. Let us as parents press hard into this good work that God has purposed for us in our homes. And let us pray hard that God, knowing that God's faithful, and that we can leave our kids in his hands as we pray daily for their salvation. Let's pray for our children now and pray for us as parents. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you um, for this passage today and these instructions that you give us on how to live in our home and our relationship with our parents. Lord, would you give us the, the strength and the passion to begin to apply some of these um, things in our lives, to begin to embrace this ultimate purpose that you have, that we would bring our children up in the discipline instructions of the home. Namely, we would teach the gospel, that we would model what it means to follow you. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that you would just help us as parents just to press into this mission you've given us, that our kids may grow up and know you and embrace you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, that is the greatest thing that we want for them, Lord. Thank you for your word, and give us your grace and your strength to love our kids and teach them the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.